Aloha, friends. My name is Matthew Gray, and you're listening to 50 Tastes of Gray. Today's guest, John Barr, the host of Here Be Barr on YouTube, is an amazing guy. If you love New York City, and who doesn't, John Barr is the ultimate expert in New York City. We talked a lot about that. We talked about the food, the pizza, of course, everybody's favorite food. We talked about his new baby. We talked about daddy energy. We talked about his personal fight and challenge with testicular cancer and the fact that he overcame it. Yes, we spent a lot of time talking about baseball, especially my favorite team, the New York Yankees. We talked a lot about social media. We talked about the post-COVID world, everything related to food pricing and his beautiful wife, Adriana. It was really a great, great interview. I enjoyed it a lot. I know you're going to enjoy John Barr from Here Be Barr right now. So tune in and enjoy. If you want to stay in touch with me, all you have to do is go to my website, lovelife.com. And that'll tell you everything that 50 Tastes of Grey is doing and yours truly, Matthew Gray. So enjoy the show with John Barr right now. Take care. Aloha. John, it's so nice to finally meet you at long last. You too, Matthew. Really uh, excited to uh, be on your program today. Let's rock. You know, uh, you're talking to a New York boy, and you are representing the world's greatest city now, New York City, uh, with your famous show, Here Be Bar. And before we talk about your YouTube experience and your stardom, I do want to start today by asking you, what have you eaten today? You know, I, I watched a, a podcast or uh, two of yours, and I was wondering... Would a protein shake count as food? Well, yeah, sure. It counts as food, although, you know, there might be some downsides to, to having protein shakes at the beginning of your day. Is that what you're saying you started with? No, that was my lunch, actually. My, uh, my breakfast was uh, French toast. My wife uh, surprised me with it today for some reason. Crunch toast. Tell us what that is. Oh, no, uh, French toast. Oh, French toast. Okay, great. Toast. So are you a syrup guy or a powdered sugar guy? Syrup guy for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, beautiful Adriana, your wife. How long have you guys been married? Been married for uh, four years, four months. Four years and four months. And how long have you been together? Oof, since January of 2016. So seven years, five months. <laughs> well, a long time. You know, I've been watching you and following you for probably that entire time. I remember when you guys were in, in Mexico and you were boyfriend and girlfriend at that time. And one of the things that crossed my mind is, did you ever learn to speak Spanish? And if so, how fluent are you? Uh, I did learn to speak decent Spanish. I actually took uh, online classes. Now there's something called italki, which basically did what I did. I had a, a tutor who I found online. I just searched for like Spanish tutor. He was in Argentina. And we took lessons a lot for about three years of conversation. So I would say I'm intermediate level. I wouldn't say I'm like anywhere near like advanced or native, but I can hold my own with her family. I can understand a lot of what's going on. So I'm, I'm okay. I'm uh, intermedio. Oh, very good. Are you guys pretty much an English speaking household? You know, uh, ever since we had our son Alexander back in September, my wife speaks to him primarily in Spanish, uh, but funny enough we speak almost entirely english and i'm always giving her flack for not practicing spanish with me because she claims that when she speaks spanish to me too much i tend to zone out not pay attention so she has her reasons but it's mostly english between us 
but she speaks Spanish to Alexandra. So I'm trying to get more Spanish going. When you're uh, conversing in Spanish as a native English speaker, like I am as well, do you think in English and then translate it in your brain and try to then spit it out in Spanish? Is that how it works when you're multilingual? I think that when you are not at a high level, that's exactly what you do. And that's what I tend to do a lot when I'm rusty with it. And when I used to take classes with my teacher, just like this, like Skype, he would say, stop translating, stop translating, speak. And I think it gets to a point where you just press a button or, or as he explained it to me and Adriana, and you don't think anymore, you just speak because it's so ingrained in you. So I think at first there's a lot of translation going on, but I think once you get past a certain level, you're speaking, you're not even thinking anymore. It's just coming out the way I'm talking to you right now. There's no thought. It's just a process. Sort of like a gut reaction. It's just natural. Yeah. Oh, isn't that interesting? I want to go back to the beginning of your career on YouTube. Nowadays, uh, YouTube celebrities like you are, are kind of like the rock stars of our current world, you know, content creators and so on. It's like, at this point, you have probably about, what, 350,000 followers or subscribers? Yeah, I think 350, 360. And I appreciate you calling me a celebrity. I don't consider myself a celebrity, but thank you. Right. Well, I think the rest of the world does. Um, what is that like? What is that process like when you first start doing content creation? Because you dig people, you dig energy, you dig food, you love your city, you want to share that, you want to reach out and help people. How do you go from having zero followers to now having grown the channel and grown your celebrity to the point where, I mean, you have a lot of people now following you. Is that, is that like an internal pressure or is that something that energizes you in a good way? I think it energizes me more than anything to know there's an audience waiting uh, for my content. I think in, in any field of content creation, there's a word niche, which I don't love to use, but I think that I found my niche with New York City and that New York City is like this blank palette and I can go in so many different directions with it. And as long as the title of my video has the words New York, it's probably going to do well. I could do food. I could do neighborhood guides. Uh, I could do tourist tips. I could do a hotel review. I could just tell a story. If New York's behind me, it'll probably do well. So what I've learned is like finding something that has an audience already. There's many people that love New York and doing it your way is the best way to grow. Uh, like there's people that just do food. There's people that just do uh, travel in different cities. Like there's Las Vegas creators. I think I really struggled a lot on YouTube when I was traveling to different spots. As you said, I was in Mexico. What I learned was people were only watching me for the Mexico content. As soon as I left Mexico, I lost 80% of my viewers, and I felt like I had to start from scratch every time I went to a new destination. Um, now, there is a little caveat with that. If you're a couple, sometimes couples can jump between countries, but my channel was a little bit more just me. She was there, my wife, but it was more based around myself. Um, so I think just finding like a path that you can do really well that has viewers already or that has some kind of a viral interest is the best way to do it. And then once you find out what that is, double down on it and see mm -hmm. how you can make it your own. I think that's what I did in New York. Where did you grow up? Grew up in Fairlawn, New Jersey, actually. Uh-huh. And uh, so now I'm guessing that you're living in New York or one of the boroughs nearby? Yes, I'm in uh, Park Slope, Brooklyn at the moment. I've oh, lived here nice. for uh, almost three years here. 
and I lived in Manhattan in Greenwich Village for nine years. Uh, how do you like the energy on a day-to-day -day basis? Is that something that is always being plugged in or burning the candle at both ends? Is that something that, from others' perspective or point of view, is that something that's actually happening over in New York? I think I feel a little bit more of a stressful, frenetic energy in Manhattan. And I think that's something that most tourists and outsiders really uh, characterize New York City with, the hustle and bustle of lower Manhattan, midtown Manhattan especially. Even when I was growing up in New Jersey, I would do internships in New York or I would go to New York for the day. It was always midtown. And that was my perception of New York. And then as I created this YouTube channel, and I'll admit, before I had the YouTube channel, I was not exploring as much as I should have been. Yeah. And now that it's become my job, going to other parts of the city, going to the outer boroughs like Riverdale and the Bronx or parts of Queens, mo most of Brooklyn, energy is a bit more chill when you get to more of the residential areas outside of those popular zones. And I think it chills out a little bit. And that's more my speed. I just don't think I would want to live in Manhattan again. My wife has also agreed with me on that. She said, when we used to walk out of our apartment in Greenwich Village. It felt like it was a fashion show. Everyone's trying so hard over there. Right, like to make the scene and to be the style kind of fashion plate yeah. and all that. Yeah, exactly. Here at Park Slope, where it's like 50% families, my wife says she's, she walks out, no makeup and sweatpants, and nobody cares, and she feels comfortable here. She's out with our baby right now in the park, so it's just a much different vibe. Oh, that's great. Tell us about the, uh, the naming of your show and why you chose that name. Ooh, it's, it's funny how often people ask me that question because it seems kind of random. Uh, the truth is, I wish I had a better story. I was thinking of a name for a YouTube channel, and I wanted something that, that would be for travelers to explore the unknown. I couldn't think of anything, so what did I do? I went to Fiverr.com. I found somebody who said, I will give you creative ideas, and I said, I want a YouTube channel played off my name bar where we explore unknown things. And they sent me four terrible ideas and they sent me one good idea. Here be bar based off the old English. Here be dragons, the spots on the maps that were undiscovered and they would just be a dragon there. And I was like, hmm, okay. And I, I went with it and I haven't looked back. Oh, isn't that awesome? It's so funny and wild how people come up with their ideas, right? Yeah, I, it wasn't my idea, but I, I'm using it. You know, over time, I've seen you get more into food, which is right up my alley for sure. And, um, and lately, more into baseball, New York Yankees. Go Yankees. You can see over my shoulder here. Uh, we've got a little Yankees uh, gnome. And, um, but, you know, before we, we talk a little bit more about your channel and, and the things that are important to you, you know, you became a hero to a lot of people in the medical world and people who have suffered with testicular cancer. And I know that that's something that is prevalent among young men in our society. And that's something that you went through and you beat it. Can you address that a little bit and talk to us a little bit about what that experience was like? Well, absolutely. And I, I think my experience with testicular cancer, I've read so many stories of other men and it, and it all seems to be similar of, I was this young guy, I was invincible. I never went to the doctor. I never got sick. And suddenly I'm getting this cancer word thrown at me and like your world is just shattered. Like what happened? Uh, I mean, I was in, I was in Mexico 
uh, filming at the time. I was living with then girlfriend, now wife Adriana in Mexico City, which has actually since blown up in popularity, I have to say, with Americans. But back then, it wasn't as crazy full of, uh, of gringos. <laughs> but that's, <laughs> that's another story. Um, so I was filming one day. And uh, we were just we were filming a video about volunteering at the school for the blind. And as the video was ending, I was literally holding my camera vlog style, and I felt the shooting pain in my abdomen. And even as you even as I ended the video, you can see my eye go uh, like the last second, it was the strangest thing. Mm -hmm. I had to sit down; I was in so much pain. Wow. And then you know, I I went home, uh, told my wife, and uh, she is ironic and terrible as this was had an ex-boyfriend who died of testicular cancer, I think like six or seven years earlier. Wow. So when I told her where the pain was, she's like, no, go to the doctor. And I, I went to the, uh, the ER and I originally thought that it was a hernia because I went to the gym uh, that day. Back when I still went to the gym, now I hardly go because I have really uh -huh. time. But um, they're like, yeah, probably a hernia, probably a hernia. And then they're doing an ultrasound in the area and the, the x-ray tech, he looks at the screen. I'll never forget it. He's like, I see it. I see it now. I'm like, what, what? He's like, yeah, it's a tumor. I'm like, what? It's a tumor. I'm like, shocked. Like, I, I don't think I've ever been so shocked before in my life to hear that word. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was, that was pretty rough, actually. Like the, uh, you know, the whole having to race home, breaking our apartment lease like a week or two early, uh, going back to our apartment in the city, going to the doctor, getting like x-ray scans to see if the cancer spread, having surgery, ultimately finding out that they caught it in time and that I just needed to be, um, uh, what was the term? I needed to have active surveillance for five years mm -hmm. and they would have to scan me a few times a year. And actually the five years just expired last spring. So I'm done going to the hospital for that. So I knock on wood, I, I think that chapter is over as far as my wow. own experience, but I'm always happy to talk about it. Oh yeah. You were profiled by some sort of a New York publication about, about the uh, journey that you had. Was that something that helped bring a lot more attention to this? Yeah, I think it was the, was it the New York post. Some writer found it. She wrote a story and the headline was so New York post. I think it was vlogger captures the exact moment when cancer strikes and i'm like oh. all right wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, that was anything to sensationalize it right yeah but it got clicks i'm sure I, yeah. I had some people contact me after who also had cancer and, and i think what got more attention was a youtube video i filmed about my story i got a lot of comments from men and for years and years i've had men sending me questions about it and telling me like happened to me too thank you for sharing uh you're so brave and and i i didn't think of myself as brave or courageous to tell this story but i, I know there's a lot of people out there who'd be you know shy to talk about testicular cancer i don't know it sounds like something icky to them or right. it's an area of their body they don't want to admit they had a problem uh but i i was fine doing it i didn't feel brave i some people said you were brave i, I just thought that I, I wanted to share this because my audience is very young male i have a lot of male viewers 25 to 34 one of my biggest demographics so mm -hmm. i want them to know what's going on yeah yeah and this story about that kind of dovetails to our love of baseball and a few well-known baseball players anthony rizzo and trey mancini and uh, liam hendricks from the various different teams who have all 
suffered with that and have, have gone through the experience and they're coming out the other end like you in a really positive and healthy way. Yeah, definitely. I know that uh, the professional athletes obviously have a very uh, big platform. I think there was a pitcher for the Pirates who had it, and then he went to the Yankees. T- uh, Taylon, I think his oh, name. Oh, Tyone. Ta- yeah. Yeah. He, he he had it right after I had it. I even sent him a message. I don't think he ever responded, but I was like, oh, I, you know, I just had this too. You want to say? I guess you feel like a kindred ship with people that have suffered something that you went through, and you you understand uh, what they're going through. And I think there is some responsibility if you have a platform to share uh, this kind of stuff. And I, I don't know if you heard about my camera guy, Ben, but uh, he's suffering right now with stage four lymphoma oh. and he's really bad shape. And we did a fundraiser for him, which raised almost a hundred thousand dollars. So oh. I was of all the videos I've ever done. I was most proud of that because uh, you know, medical care in this country is insanely expensive and cancer treatments on another level. What was your decision uh, while you were growing here, B-Bar, to have a cameraman, which seems to me to be an extremely smart move instead of uh, carrying your own camera like a lot of other celebrities or YouTube content creators do? You know, I, I wasn't looking for a cameraman. The cameraman found me, Ben. Uh, he actually approached me on the subway. He just spotted me. My wife and I were going to the airport, and this was not planned. It just happened to be on the train. He said, hey, I love your channel. Um, if you ever need somebody, I'm a film student right now. I would do it for free. Just let like to help you out. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then, excuse me, we, uh, we had a, a meet, the only meetup ever in six years, actually seven years now, channel history. We had one with a few other New York creators, the YMCA in upper Manhattan. And he showed up again. I, I put it out there. And again, he said, I will help you. I said, okay, tell you what, you're trying this hard doing a shoot next week come do a behind the scenes of me i'm gonna make a separate video i watched the footage and i'm like he shoots way better than me it's like okay we have something here and it started small and uh he was volunteering then he got paid more and more until he turned it into a full-time thing where he was editing all my videos too so i wasn't looking for him he found me and i realized i do a lot better when somebody else is filming because i can concentrate on the big picture a little bit more it totally makes sense because like you, like you said, it, it takes so much time and effort just to do it, period. But to have someone who's editing and, and, and shooting it, you can move about, you can be much more natural. Yeah, exactly. And like I can, I can kind of look at the shots. I could say we could do this, we could do that. Or, you know, I could go inside and talk to the owner of the business if it's a food thing. He's outside. It just saves time, honestly. It's just yeah. a time saver. And if somebody's better than you at something – I think my strength is hosting. I don't think mm-hmm. my strength is shooting or editing. You get someone better than you, it just makes a, a higher quality product. Yeah, stick to your specialties, right? Absolutely. So when you look over your shoulder and you try to connect the dots for John, where were you, let's say, in high school and college? What were your aims and goals as far as career-based stuff? Were you always a social person? I actually think I would characterize myself more as uh, introverted, which maybe surprises some people because I talk on a uh, camera a lot although i did read someone like david letterman there's an expression introvert extrovert where if you put them in certain positions they can be extroverted so when you put a camera on me i own the camera like that's it like i'm in charge but if you put me into a room of 50 strangers at a cocktail event my drink is here and i'm just like okay do i know anybody that i could talk to i'm not gonna work the room so i i have a mix of introvert extrovert i guess you could say but i think when i was younger i was more introverted and uh when i got to college i discovered uh radio 
journalism. My, my degree was in journalism, but really my degree was in my student radio station where I just did all the Rutgers uh, sports and we, we did broadcasting for it. And I think putting the microphone in front of me somehow opened me up more and uh, definitely made me more social and just more confident. Once you get behind the microphone at any point in your life, it stays with you, doesn't it? It's in your blood forever. I actually think, and I was reading that you have a background in radio, not shocked at all yeah. by the voice. You have a great voice. I just have to tell you. Oh, thanks. That's very nice. <laughs> but uh, no, you're, you're right. And I think that I have a huge advantage over many other YouTubers. And I have a background in radio, especially radio, but television. I did television broadcasting for sports. So all the things I'm doing right now, before and after this uh, interview, I'm scripting a video about the New York City subway. But in the past, I was scripting sports. I was always researching, thinking of ways to, to type it where it sounds good to the ear, to the eye. Um, so I and speaking on camera, I have no problem with that. I never had an issue with that. It was always the editing and the shooting that was a problem. But just doing what I do best, scripting, Im improv. I think improv actually is something that a lot of these new creators are surprised that I can do because there's a lot of these uh, short, nothing against them because I do two short form creators where they'll go and they'll film food. And they'll do a 30 second to one minute uh, voiceover. And they say, did you like I have some of them messaging me that would chat about it. Did you script that? Did you script that? I'm like, no, it was mostly improv because I just had years of practice improving. I would speak for three hours about a baseball game in Casper, Wyoming. Like doing that is a really good life skill. And it transferred really well to YouTube in ways that I didn't think about until many years later. You know, a baseball keeps coming up throughout this thread of you and I being together. And I know we're going to get to the food thing or more food stuff later. But as far yeah. as baseball goes, you just recently did a couple of videos about the New York Yankees and access and behind the scenes and, and so on like that. If you're a Yankees fan from way back, what was that experience like? I mean, I, I grew up a, a Yankees fan by far. You know, uh, probably my favorite team ever was the 96 team. Again, I was, oh, let's see, 12 years old. Mm -hmm. The Yankees won the World Series in 96. It was their first World Series, uh, I think, since 78. They won first appearance since 81. So it was a big deal for New York. I even, I think I framed the newspaper clipping from the Bergen record for like 20 years. We had that at my old house. I, oh. I just like, I'm going to save this. Oh, yeah. I grew up a huge Yankees fan. Then when I moved into professional baseball broadcasting, I got to know some players uh, for example, Didi Gregorius, who was a shortstop for the Yankees after Jeter left, I knew him when he was in the minors because we had a mutual friend and I broadcast for the White Sox affiliate. I will say that I probably burned out from sports a little bit after being a professional broadcaster for nine years. I watched mm -hmm. so much sports. I, I just got, I don't want to say I got tired of it, but I just watched enough where I wasn't spending so much time when I was free watching baseball anymore. You know, I, I was a baseball announcer, I think, for five years, and I broadcast like 100 games a season. And, I, and as a baseball announcer, you watch every single pitch. You, it's not like going to a game with your friends, drinking a beer, having a hot dog, and you turn your head, it's the fourth inning. I'm there four hours before the game doing interviews, filling out my score sheet, every batter, every pitch I have to pay attention to. So I think I kind of drifted away from fandom a little bit in the baseball side. Um but do you, do you want me to tell you about how this whole Yankees thing came about? Oh, absolutely. Because, and before you do, I want to blow your mind a tiny bit. When I was a little kid and we were living in Syosset on Long Island, my dad took me to Yankee Stadium and I got to meet Mickey Mantle in person. And I touched him, I patted him on the back. 
And that experience is going to be with me for the rest of my life. No, I, that's amazing. Like, I, I think uh, I think the players maybe don't realize how much of an impact they have on the kids. But when I was at the game, I saw the players. We were at batting practice, like running up to the, the little kids and signing autographs. And I was like, I remember when I was that age. These guys are really my heroes, uh, what that was like. So I, that, that's so cool. I'm trying to think if I ever met any players as a kid. I, I met more players when I was older, actually, than when I was a kid. Right. Less of an impact when you're older, when you meet a famous yeah. person. But when, you know, when you soil your pants as a little kid, when you meet that famous person, it's something amazing. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Tell us about the, this whole recent Yankees experience, because that, that was fabulous. So um, I think I was literally laying on this bed here. It was like midnight. Occasionally it was midnight on a Friday. And I, I'm checking my Instagram and I have a direct message request from the New York Yankees account. I'm like, what is this? I clicked it. They're like, hey, we're a big fan of yours. The Yankees, we'd love for you to come in and make a video about the game day experience. Whatever you need, we can do. At first I thought, like, are they punking me? Because I'm like, let me see if this is real. I clicked the account. They said 3 million followers. I'm like, oh, wow. So this really is the Yankees. I didn't yeah. know. Except Brian Cashman, who's writing me here. Uh, so I ended up chatting with them. It was the uh, the social media director, super cool guy. I believe Brian Callahan is his name. And uh, he said that someone from the Yankees said to hit me up. They were trying to get more social media content i know they're big on tiktok right now because that's a, a sponsor of theirs uh -huh. but i think they never did a youtube video and someone with the yankees liked my channel and he said see if this guy will come in and they just gave me so much access you know i guess you saw the video pre-game tour batting practice uh museum with hands i could hold babe ruth's bat like aaron <laughs> judge's bat it was it was crazy jealous <laughs> <laughs> well, you you can you could pay for it. You could do the same thing. I think it's one hundred forty four dollars for that tour, uh -huh. and it also includes the uh, the tour of the field. I think it, for a super fan like yourself, it might be worth the money just once mm -hmm. in a lifetime. Oh yeah. Um, so they included that. They're like anything you want to eat on us. So we ate a lot. They gave us uh, hats, shirts, a little a little shirt for my son Alexander I requested they they did everything and anything they put us in some of the most expensive like field MVP seats it was it was unbelievable and I think I would have appreciated this more when I was like nine years old if sure. I would have been given all these things um so maybe I'm a little bit more jaded at 38 but it was still fun like I, I I'll never forget that did you get a, a, any bobbleheads any available bobbleheads <laughs> no they didn't they didn't offer me that we got a um actually I could show you Okay, very good. <laughs> we have John Barr on Dirt. here from Here Be Barr. Batting practice, I think uh -huh. a, a few balls got hit into the one ball got hit into the ble into the bleachers, the stands while we were finishing our tour. So I ran, I grabbed a home run ball from batting practice, and then we got an, we got like four balls, I think. You and caught my, that on tape, didn't you? We actually yes, saw that one, on the video. One of these two was the one that was sitting in the seats. We ran and we got it. Um, yeah, so that was that's a cool souvenir. Travel and food actually turns people on a whole lot more than baseball. So thank you for giving me your baseball time. Let's talk food. Wow. What's current, what's hot, what's new in New York City right now as far as the food world goes? So my I say specialty on food is more of like the cheaper stuff. And, you know, cheap in New York is a relative word because <laughs> it's, it's cheaper. It's not cheap in other states and other countries. But uh, I would say something that's really hot right now are these bodega sandwiches. There's a bunch of like viral stars right now, like the Aki Way. It's huge on TikTok. You go to, you, I did a video about him and some others. 
Then you go to his bodega in Red Hook, and he puts on this whole song and dance for you on camera. He's got this whole shtick. It's like a, a bacon, egg, and cheese on honey bun. It's this big, cost $18. It's, it's insane. And then there's um, a couple of new delis. This is actually coming out in a video this weekend. One of them is called um, Dat's Deli in Hollis, Queens, where they do oxtail mac patties. Oh, And yeah. uh, another one is called uh, Notable in Astoria, Queens. And they're a mix of an American deli and Jamaican food, where I believe one owner's Jamaican, one owner's Jewish. And uh, I think he said that, I think he said the company name was Jamaican or something funny like that. But they, they do like um, jerk chicken, uh, jerk chicken in between cocoa bread. Like they just like, they kind of do mixes of things and that's blowing up right now. So I would say that in the food scene of New York, these delis and bodegas are getting attention outside of just the locals who live in the area. Now it's becoming a destination like I've never seen. And I love it because that's more my style than going to some pretentious French restaurant. Some right. might argue differently, but I love the, the cheap eats, the street food. Like That's me. Sign me up for that. Oh, yeah. You definitely uh, light up when you're in these places. And how much of the of, the, of that aspect of your of your response to the flavors and the colors and the aroma and the architecture and all of that has to do with the fact that you've got a cameraman on this side and maybe you have a sound guy over here and maybe a friend who's sitting next to you. Uh, so there's a tension on you. Do you feel any sort of a, a responsibility or obligation to say, oh, that's good, put a smile on your face because, you know, the owners are looking at you from five feet away or how does that work, that whole energetic aspect? That's a very good question, actually, because I think there's a lot of debate on social media right now, especially maybe more so with the short form creators because they do it more than me. I don't do food all the time. I never, ever want to bash a small business. Right. If I have something that I don't like or I think it's okay, I'm not going to put the greatest adjectives on it. I think the viewers are pretty smart and they could tell like, John didn't love that. He's just being kind of neutral or he's talking about like, okay, this is pizza and it's mediocre, but this is why you should try and do your pizza. I'll always try to spin it somehow. Yeah. Uh, I, I did a video once where I did worst versus best rated pizza in New York, but I didn't give the name of the pizza place. Uh, a lot of the detectives figured out where it was. I never mm -hmm. confirmed it from the reviews. They could figure it out. Um, but I, I think to answer your question, I try to be as like spontaneous with it as I can when I bite something. I'll never say mm, if I don't like it. Sometimes I'll, I'll film stuff if my wife is there. I'll say, Adriana, did I, uh, off camera, did I like that? Did I really like that? Or was it okay? She's like, so she claims she could tell if I really liked it because my eyebrows go up. There's like certain like uh, cues that I really love something. Then others, I'm just like, this is okay. But I guess the long and the short of it is I never want to give a negative review if I'm openly there at a small business. If it's like a big corporation, I'm more apt to say, meh. But for small business, I think that the power that I could have to hurt them right. is a little bit strong. So I'll just try to be honest without being negative, if that makes any sense. Yeah, you know, it's a very interesting kind of play because I'm a former food journalist and restaurant reviewer here in Hawaii, but I was always incognito as, as a true critic should be. 
And so it's definitely different than having the cameras rolling because I, I couldn't have done what I did for so many years had there been a camera there or had my, my identity been known by, by the restaurant. So I was just wondering how you threaded that needle. And of course, just like you, I never wanted to hurt the small guys. I just wouldn't write about it if it was an experience that wasn't good. But if it was the big guys and the people who thought that their stuff don't stink, I would, I would suck it to them if I felt that that was my honest opinion. You know, what's interesting is you mentioned how you'd go incognito, and I'm not going to name any names here, but I have had experiences where I went to the place on YouTube. Owner knows I'm there. So my theory is he goes to the chef and he says, don't mess this up. Make this really good because this guy's filming it. And more times than not, I'll get the best of what they have. I've right. noticed this. On, I've done press trips before, like Scottsdale, Arizona. I was like, everything was amazing. And I'm always wondering, is it the press trip effect? Is it the fact that I have a camera? And then I go back, let's say New York. I'm like, well, this is good, but this wasn't as good as I remembered it. And uh -huh. I'm always thinking, because if the owner knew I was there, I think he said something. I think you, you might get a little bit of an elevated experience, which is why I think if you're a critic, you should be hidden. And I don't consider myself a critic. I consider myself more of a guide. Even like a, I've talked to one of my best co-hosts, Greg, gives food tours in New York, mm -hmm. native New Yorker. He was a food vlogger as well. I say that when I'm with you, I feel like I'm the play-by-play -play announcer and you're the color commentator. Like I'm going back to my, my broadcasting days where right. I'm saying, this is what it looks like. This is what it costs. This is the whole experience. I take a bite. I'm like, mm. and then he'll break down like the real, like the intricacies of the flavors and the spices and, and what this means in the landscape of New York. And I'm just like, kind of just playing it even keel. I don't, I don't like to be this like critical person on camera. If I could avoid it, I try to stay positive uh, when possible. I just don't think it's in my nature to be super critical of everything. My wife gets annoyed at me when we're not on camera and I'm like, this is good, but this is bad. So just enjoy your food. Right. Well, you know, you're in a whole entirely different sector of, of communications. You know, what you're doing is about entertainment. What a critic does is not about entertainment, unless, of course, you, you appreciate the writing. Um, but it's more about a giving a different kind of response. So if they knew that you were sitting there, or if they knew that I was sitting there, they'd bring on the dancing girls and the lobster tails. And not that that would be such a bad thing, but it wouldn't result in too many real honest opinions. <laughs> well, like you can look up the, the writer for the New York Times, Pete Wells. If you Google uh -huh. his name, it's just photos out there. I I wonder if he wears disguises because he's out like his photos out there in the New York Times a pretty big deal. Oh, so yeah. I wonder does he go with sunglasses and a fake mustache? I don't know. I think so because you know when I was doing when I was doing the uh, restaurant review for the Honolulu Advertiser, I know that restaurants back then had photographs of anyone in the media that they knew about on the kitchen walls. But I would always decline opportunities to go out and and visit with people or go to cocktail parties and so on because I just didn't want people to know my identity as far as what I looked like. And so I was able to remain anonymous for a really, really long time, which I think resulted in better responses as far as writing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it sounds, yeah. it sounds like fun to be a critic, just to, just to be able to, I mean, to say whatever you want, if necessary. Um, I, I respect that, but it's definitely not me. Oh yeah, you know, being paid to eat, come on. The only thing better <laughs> than being paid to eat in Honolulu would be being paid to eat in New York City. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> As far as the bodega thing is going, there was also something fairly recently about the in New York City that became real popular with tacos that were being dipped into an au jus type of... Birria. Uh, 
Yeah. How, how is that? Are we past that fad? I think that fad has come and gone, but, there, but I'm happy it occurred because a few blocks from me, they opened up a great taqueria that does amazing birria. My wife and I just ordered it. My wife ordered the birria and French fries because these guys don't have California style. Mm-hmm. And she was eating that. I was eating the Al Pastor burrito. It was heaven. But, to, but, to, but to your point, uh, there was a spot called, Birialandia, which I believe opened in 2018, five years ago. And they were the first big Biria spot on the scene in New York. And Biria's big in, uh, I think they're, I think they're TJ style, Baja California style, was also big, I believe, in Jalisco, Mexico. Mm-hmm. So funny enough, sometimes trends start in the U.S., and then they go to Mexico, even though birria was something that was Mexican. My wife told me that it was always something that you would eat after a night of drinking. It was like a hangover cure. It would be something on the weekends. Uh-huh. I've been told that actually in Mexico City and some other spots, they saw the fad in the U.S. And now they're opening up a lot of birria spots. But I do think that it has passed perhaps in the last year. I'm thinking maybe this Caribbean food, oxtail that is picking up a lot of popularity right now where, I mean, New York always big Caribbean population, you know, like a, like a beef patties, huge deal for the locals here, especially I think Queens, Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. So that might be one of the big ones right now. I just don't know if birria is still as popular, but it, it got huge here as it did in other spots around the U S too. I love the a whole cross-cultural food-related experiences. Like there's a restaurant I know, I think it's in Richmond. It's called Jufro. And it's a, it's a combination of Jewish food and uh, Ethiopian food. So it's just so many really creative people who are in the food world. And I know since the COVID thing happened, it's been a real difficult experience for restaurants. Can you explain to us a little bit about what that was all about inside the New York City area? I think restaurants really had to adapt due to COVID. I think they did a fantastic job. I even yeah. know some restaurateurs who they opened in 2020 and they wow. just got destroyed they stayed with it, did take out. I, I have to give the administration at the time some credit in 2020 for allowing takeout to occur yeah. and for starting this whole outdoor seating program, which may be one of the lasting impacts of COVID in New York more than anything is like these open streets where a lot of car, a lot of drivers don't like it, but there's many of these outdoor setups mm-hmm. that take up like five or six parking spots in the street and they're still going on and they may be here for good. So because of COVID, a lot of restaurants have actually been able to expand their seating. I think outdoor dining has become way more popular in New York than it ever has been because of that, making New York, dare I say, feel a little bit more European than it already is. But like just at the time, 2020 was terrible because like, Anyone in food, tourism, all felt it. And uh, unless your business was just heavy on takeout, and even then, so many people left New York City and you lost all the tourism. But I don't think anybody really thrived during COVID unless you were selling like PPE gear or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Have you seen the city kind of bounce back now? Are we Are we doing much better than we were? I read a stat actually researching for this video I'm doing about the New York City subway. I'm doing a, a big guide to the New York City subway. But let me tell you, if I was a first timer. I'd be so confused going through this. But the stat was 4 million riders. I think it was like a week ago. Uh-huh. And that's the first time New York has had 4 million riders since a week before COVID. Wow. Now, I don't think it's back to all time high, but that's like very close. And I would say the city is like, 
80-90% back. The big difference is Midtown is quieter. I think a lot mm-hmm. of offices have, bro- have tried to break their leases. Granted, many are 10-year leases. Can't do it that easy. But a lot more people that I know who are going to offices, I'm not one of them, go a few days a week. It's very common right now in New York City. I know some of the works at Google, for example, hybrid, two, right. three days a week. work from home the other days. So I think you generally do see less people on the subway, not by much, but I I don't see as much of that like really crowded sardine riding subway experience that I had before COVID. But rental prices are higher than they've ever been. Food prices like the arm shirt in Hawaii and everywhere else up through the roof. Um, Outside of the outdoor dining and old signs saying wear your mask inside, barely tell COVID even happened right now. Wow. Yeah, you definitely can see why hybrid work is really positive for a big city. And, you know, the whole entire culture and society has readjusted themselves. No one really wants to go into work if they don't have to. If I can be productive here from my desk in my office, then why not, right? But I think a little bit of the, there's a little bit of a social breakdown. Have you noticed that? Or is it because you're out and about doing your thing that you really haven't noticed what's going on as far as the mass exodus from the business world? Probably haven't noticed it that much because I never really was in that world. I haven't mm-hmm. been in that world since I've lived in New York, just about doing social media stuff. I'm actually home more than ever with the baby. Like I, I don't even go out that much anymore. I, I'm just out to film occasionally. You know, I'm I'm out to walk to walk with the baby like the stroller and to like go eat around here, but I don't go to Manhattan that mm-hmm. often anymore unless I'm filming a video. So I don't know too much about the business world. The the only things I know are from people, like my friends, who tell me about their office situations. But I don't know too many people outside of teachers or government workers who are forced to go in five days a week right now. Right, right. So since you guys had Alexander, you're your sweet little baby. Uh, have you noticed a certain kind of daddy energy in yourself that, that you've been able to rise above life now that you have a beautiful little baby? I appreciate that. Um, I think the energy's definitely changed. Um, obviously, my wife and I are very focused on his well-being, where he takes up a lot of our time. As you can imagine, it's been tough to juggle some of my work responsibilities, even finding a new editor and camera person to fill in for Ben right now. Um, I think you, you know, I, I feel like I've gotten a little bit more sentimental about things. Where like I, I'll watch a cute video about like a baby growing up, and I'll almost I don't know, almost tear up on TikTok seeing this stuff. Like. Now that I have a child, it's a little bit different than before I had a child. So I think my my perspective has changed, obviously, on my own parents and parenting and other parents out there, how difficult it is and and how hard it is to be a parent in this day and age. And uh, especially my wife, she's an amazing mom. This how, how much she really has to go through where it's like she's nonstop with him. And I have the opportunity at least to go out once or twice a week to film these videos, which granted is work, but it's a fun job. And for her, it's much harder but I, I think I, I, I'm becoming more of a dad. You know, I, I definitely feel that energy. I'm I'm watching him like right, right before he falls over, I catch him. So yeah, yeah, I think daddy energy's coming for sure. Oh, that's very, very cool. You seem like an emotional kind of soft-hearted person, not, not anything brusque or the way that people would describe New Yorkers. So it, it doesn't surprise me that, you know, you have that sentimental aspect to your personality. Oh, I, pr- I appreciate that. And I, I think most New Yorkers have like a tough exterior. And then once uh-huh. you get to know them, they're fine. It's just they're a little gruff sometimes. But, uh, you know, the, I'm talking about the native New Yorkers, but get to know them and they're, they're, they're the same. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're all the same, right? Underneath the yeah. surface. Has Adriana always had mommy juice? Was that something that she wanted from the beginning? And uh, let's have babies, that kind of thing? I think she's kind of discovered it more now. Uh -huh. she's, not, she's not here to say I'll just speak on her behalf. Maybe she'll agree or disagree with what I'm about to say. <laughs> let's get her on the but, horn. <laughs> let's get, yeah, I'll yell out the window. She's probably down there. Right. Uh, you know, I think that she always liked children, but she told me that she wanted to have kids, but she wasn't one of those women who said, my existence on this planet is to be a mom and this is my life goal and we must do this and I must have a big family. She'd just kind of go with the flow and when the time was right, we would try and we would be successful. And uh, I think now she's so such a mom. She's just so great with him and she's just like sacrificing so much of like herself this baby so if she didn't have it before maybe it was inside and she didn't realize it but now she definitely has it oh wow that's that's wild. okay you know what would an interview with here be bars guy john Barr, without talking about pizza can you describe to me what your favorite style of pizza is and what makes great pizza great in your opinion oh that's a that's a that's a complex question i mean my, my favorite type i think would be to New York pizza, you know, like your standard. There's a spot in Park Slope, South Slope. I don't go enough called Luigi's, and they've really, really blown up in the last few years mm -hmm. because YouTubers and people on social media and like celebrities are going in there. It's this old school pizza spot. Uh, the owner, Gio, super nice guy, just like your classic New York slice, you know, just a crispy, good ingredients. Also in Manhattan, there's a place called Bleecker Street Pizza, which I love because I used to live near there. And I put them in so many videos that I had a lot of my viewers going in. And when that I went in one time, they took my picture and they put my picture on the wall, which I think is one of the coolest things as a New Yorker to have your oh, yeah. picture on the wall of one of your favorite pizza spots. And they do something called the Nona Maria, which mm. is a little bit of a hybrid between the Neapolitan, the traditional Italian pizza and the New York style pizza with like Parmigiano Reggiano cheese and like fresh marinara and all that good stuff. Um, so I'm also a fan of that. I, I like bold pizza like that. I, I love cheese. I love very saucy slice. I probably would pick that over just a plain New York slice. Uh -huh. I, like I'm fine with the Joe's pizza, but I like a little more flavor if I, I could be honest with you. So do you like the uh, the cheesy and the greasy to where it's running down your wrist as you're eating it and all that kind of thing? Uh, I don't know if I I don't know if I need too much grease. That's like a, a uh -huh. critique sometimes I've had with Joe's pizza it gets a little too greasy. Right. But I just like I like a lot of sauce. I like just bold flavors. And I had this conversation a few times with this girl, Mary Jane, or you need the channel's called What is Shame Mary Jane? She's native Italian, lives in New York City. And and she made me think about this. I never thought about it, how Americans like Bold, strong, sweet flavors, where if you look at a Neapolitan pizza, there's not that many ingredients. It's a lot healthier when you eat it, and you don't feel super full after eating a slice or two, like you're okay. Eat a couple slices of New York pizza, that thing is sinking in your belly, and you want to take a nap. So from like the health perspective, the, the, the Neapolitan pizza is way better for you, but I think I, I'm just too much of a fan of a New York pizza to ever say that I would prefer Neapolitan, but I love good Neapolitan pizza too. Outside of my, uh, my pay grade to talk about these things, I, <laughs> I just eat anything. <laughs> oh, that's great. So what's in the, the near future as far as what you're going to be covering along with the subway? Uh, is that going to be a series or is that going to be a video? 
think it's just going to be one video. I've uh-huh. had a lot of viewers over the years ask me, could you do something specific to the subway? And I, like, I already have like three pages of notes. And it's just, this video is insane. This video is crazy. It's just like, I'm thinking if, if you did, if you came to New York and you didn't have a smartphone and you're trying to navigate this subway system, just looking on maps, like good luck. Having a phone and Google maps, like takes away 99% of what I'm going to tell these people, tell my viewers, I'm going to say it anyway. But the New York City subway system is a little bit crazy. It is not easy. Once you live here long enough, it's it's piece of cake. But if you're a first-time visitor, I, I totally understand the frustrations with it. As far as other videos are concerned, we shot one last week. And it's a part two to a viral video I uh, I made called why are New Yorkers obsessed with these sandwiches? And as I was telling you about those deli sandwiches, uh-huh. we went to three different delis and got some outrageous sandwiches. That video is going to make you hungry, I promise you. And they're all in Queens, which I like because I think Manhattan gets way too much publicity already. Love doing outer borough stuff. I live in Brooklyn. I love going to Queens. Queens is mm-hmm. the best borough to eat. As far as after that, uh, I have a video that's pending right now about the summer in New York where – I show people three different tours they could take. One is like a bike tour. One was a hot tub boat tour on the Hudson River. And one was a helicopter tour. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we just have all sorts of like varying topics uh, about to pop up. So you do a strategize. You you go out into the future in your mind and you decide what you're going to do and st- instead of just going out randomly and finding well whatever it is that you see. So you're thinking about this. Yeah, I mean... I, I don't think I've ever told my, my camera person, meet me here. We're going to come up with a video. Mm-hmm. I have on occasion come up with an idea the night before and just quickly read on my, conf- my computer, jotted down a few notes, and we had an amazing video the next day. But I, I don't just go and create a vlog like Casey Neistat. I don't just say, this is my day. I, I, I try to stay away from that. I try to do things topical that I think people would be curious about. So like I have a, a notepad file with like 10 possible ideas and sometimes I'll reference that other times I'll have to brainstorm, but there's nothing better than having a lot of good ideas ready to go because that's a lot of pressure to find good ideas. I think too many creators just go film for the sake of filming to stay mm-hmm. busy without slowing down and thinking what would serve the audience, what could hit a bigger audience. Can we combine these into something? An example would be, trying new york's worst rated versus best rated pizza because that hit a lot of different people there and blew up so just like like a little bit of research can go a long ways on youtube yeah it's good to be organized isn't it oh yeah for sure just to like have the ideas written down and uh, i'll look at it like oh i came up with that two months ago maybe i could film this now and yeah you know one of the things i wanted to speak about related to your subway videos that's coming up is that for Anybody who hasn't been to New York City yet, the subway is totally worthwhile. Yes, it's overwhelming. And yes, it's a little bit crazy. But there are things like street performers who come inside the cars on the subway and they perform music and they dance. And there's a lot of smiles and a lot of energy. You know, hold on to your bags and make sure you know where your wallet is. But enjoy the performance. Am I right, John? That depends who you ask. I think the tourists would find the the kids who are uh, dancing on the subway interesting. I've I've read on like Reddit.com, like local New Yorkers like make comments like, I just want to enjoy my music in peace. I don't want you bothering me. I don't want to hear you singing. So I think it depends who you ask. For me, if it's a good performance, I'm down. I saw a magician one time with a card floating in the air. 
that I immediately got a few bucks out and gave to him. So if it's oh, a yeah. good performance, I'm down. But if it's just something really annoying, like oh, I don't like I'm putting my headphones up, I don't want to deal with this. So, but I think for tourists, it's, it's something different and definitely very cool. Yeah, well, you know, tourists are expecting a show. You go to New York, you don't want it to be bland, you don't want it to be stale, you want it to be something new and different, right? You'll definitely see things you've probably never seen before. That I can assure you. <laughs> That's both good and bad, a blessing and a curse. <laughs> exactly. Take, take it how you will. Now, what about making eye contact with people on the subway? Is that something that is uh, normally shied away from in New York? Because I know in London and other major cities, people usually just uh, look at their phone and don't make eye contact too much with the others. I would absolutely not advise making eye contact with strangers in New York City, in New York City in general, <laughs> not just the subway, but the subway, especially because you are stuck on this little tin box with with said stranger for a few stops. Uh, I would not make eye contact with nowhere with strangers. to run. <laughs> no, you have nowhere to run. I guess you could go through the doors in theory, but you don't want to do that uh, unless it's an emergency. But that, it's funny you mentioned that because I was talking to my friend, uh, Action Kid. I don't know if you follow him as well on YouTube. He's like a, a prolific uh, live streamer. He does a lot of walks and he takes the subway all the time. He he lives between Miami and, and New York. And we were going through some tips. And one of his tips was, oh, remind people not to make eye contact with strangers. And I'm like, I'm going to note that. And as you said it, I'm like, yeah, definitely don't do that. I know. It's a, it's a little bit wild because, you know, here in America, we're, uh, we're known to smile at people and occasionally make eye contact. Of course, that can be uncomfortable for some, but definitely in New York City, it's something you need to watch out for. Yeah, just in general, I mean, if, if someone's asking you for help or question, like, yeah, make eye contact, but don't just stare at people. Like, I've had local friends tell me that, like, if someone's dressed really funny, don't, like, stare at them because that could be a signal that you're getting aggressive somehow. Like, yeah, just, right. Best idea is just, you know, look at who you're with or look at your phone, but don't have right. your phone out too much, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, how do you plan for when you guys want to go traveling somewhere? Do you rack up a bunch of content, get it ready, and then schedule it to be released while you can come, let's say, here to Honolulu and hang out with me while we go eating and drinking and having fun? Oh, that sounds like an idea. But uh, in the past, depending on where we traveled, I would say we're making content out there. My wife and I went to Greece two summers ago. We made four videos. Two of them really blew up. My guide to Crete and Corfu did fantastic. So depending on where we go, there may be a video involved when we're there. But I can easily, you know, make two videos a week for two weeks and I'll be covered for a month if I have right. to. Um, so I could, you know, I, I don't do eight, nine, ten videos a month. Maybe in the long time ago, I would do that when I was editing and didn't have a child and had a lot more free time. Now, like four to six videos, five videos a month is fine. I would do exactly as you said. I would make a bunch of things in advance, send it to the editor and enjoy Honolulu and enjoy eating and drinking. Oh, good. That sounds really good. Well, John, it's been such an amazing time having you on the show. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you'd like to communicate to our audience? Uh, I think we covered pretty much everything. Just that I guess if you want to get started on, on content creation, always ask yourself, like, what value are you providing your viewer? And like, do you need to talk so much about yourself? Or can you provide value in other ways by showing people things instead of talking about your day? You know, tell people tips that can help them. Again, this is my perspective as someone that's more on the informational side. I know that works where in the past that would be more of a vlog and I just don't think it hit it as well. So I guess that's all I would leave the audience with if they want to know more about content creation. 
value, value, value. And about New York City, like, don't be afraid. Don't believe the hype from the media that, that the city is run down full of criminals. Yes, crime is up a bit. Crime is up all over the United States. Right. If you use common sense and you don't go places you shouldn't be at night, which is probably not where most tourists would go anyway, I don't think you'll have a problem. I think you'll have one of the best uh, trips of your life. And it will certainly, if not be the best trip, most unique trip of your life. John, how many of these do you do uh, where you're a guest on someone else's show? I would imagine not very often. Oh, like a, a podcast like this? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've done uh, maybe like one every few months. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, not it's quite too an often. honor. Thank you so much for, for joining us. It was really a blast. I hope that everybody uh, catches you if they haven't already. You probably have everybody in my audience already who is a subscriber of Here Be Bar, but I'm really enjoying the journey, and I want to thank you so much for being a good friend of mine, even without knowing it. During the whole COVID experience, that was a shit show that nobody wants to have to look back on. And, and you were there, you know, all the time, so that was really good, and we want to thank you for that. No, Matthew, I appreciate it. I think this was a, a fun interview. You definitely asked some questions about things I don't normally talk about. So thank you for exposing a little bit more of my like my personality and sensitive side. Very, very kind of you. And uh, I'm excited to share this uh, with my audience when it comes out. Oh, fantastic. Thanks again, John. We, what we like to say at the end of every experience with someone is aloha. Thank you so much for coming. Aloha. Thank you. Take, Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.